Hello, everybody. I think, did, oh, good. Did we get the sign saying that we're live, Edgar? Yeah, I see it. Oh, okay. Because it just flipped so fast. Hi, everybody. This is C.B. Bowman. You know? You know? Right? Everything is live and real with me. So I missed the signal that we were on. What the heck? Anyway, I am so glad we're running a few minutes late. Oh my God, what are you gonna do with CB? You just have to love her, what could I say? <laughs> so this is Tuesday, so we have challenges of the C-suite. And today, well, you know all of my guests are special, but I've got this handsome dude who has written so many books, right? The three that I'm gonna talk about, I've got them right here, but I'm gonna focus on one. Two, alignment, linking company culture with customer needs for extraordinary results. How about that, right? Then we have innovation by design how any organization could leverage design thinking to produce change, drive new ideas, and deliver meaningful solutions. And you all know my background is design. I'm a graduate of Parsons School of Design. That was when I was a young blood. And then I went into the real world of business. But here we go. Here's the next book. Oh my gosh, I can't hold these things up correctly. Whoops, there we go. Innovation by design. <laughs> and the one that I want to talk about is... And you asked me to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, my audience knows I'm a hoot. Here we go. The elephant in the boardroom. And guess what? This doesn't just apply to the boardroom. This applies to your being a leader. And leader not only means your clients, if you're a coach, you're a leader. Can we talk? So, I think that's my secret for today. Coaches have to realize that they are leaders. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce, but oh, wait, I have to give disclosure. Edgar is one of the members of the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches, which you know is my company. That doesn't make him a bad person. <laughs> that makes him a good person. <laughs> so without further ado, here we go. Edgar Hackey. And I am so excited to have him on the program. First, Edgar, let's start from the beginning. Okay. And you promise me you're going to be funny. Okay. <laughs> How did you, what did you how did you, first of all, how do you sit and write three books? But let's get back to that. First, tell me about you growing up. Tell me about your parents. I want to know it all. So I can figure out why I'm not able to write a book and get it out. Yes. Yeah, I, I have a, I have at least looking back on it, uh, we all have our unique experiences of life and uh my early experiences uh, still to this day, and I think this is a case for most of us and we may not be conscious of it, uh, my experiences very much inform my work. Uh, I'm an immigrant from Germany, so 
uh, my early experiences in childhood were pretty much of being the outsider. And uh, I, I think when you come from the outside, um, it, it really solicits from you your, your ability to observe, to observe you know, how to be included, how to fit in, uh, what are the rules of engagement, the new environments that you find yourself in, which of course is, has, has so much to do with the work that we do in, in coaching leaders and coaching executives and, and in, in building relationships overall in, in business. And so um, that informed me a great deal. So I'm an immigrant uh, from Germany. My parents came over, uh, and, you know, I, the storyline is on the boat, you know, across Ellis Island and all that good stuff. And we settled in, in New Jersey and um, two brothers, uh, one of which is uh, also a, a psychologist and uh, industrial and organizational psychologist over in Germany. And um, he, he moved back to Germany eventually. And, uh, uh, and I'm here, and uh, we, uh, uh, we, for the most part, uh, we still talk about those early experiences and how they inform our thinking in, in, in our world today and, and the work that we do. Um, so I grew up for the most part and had, in, had a variety of interests. I am certainly a creative, uh, an artist by trade, looking at it, and which is why I think that business is the, is a, is the most advanced art form that we participate in as human beings. And so I see everything through the lens of emotion, creativity, human-centered ways of thinking. Um, my first career was as a high-risk insurance underwriter, uh, working uh, at, at the, towards the end of my career there. It was all about uh, high-risk global uh, Lloyds of London type risks that you might be thinking of, just really outside the box thinking, creative ways of looking at, at insurance of all things, which is a pretty, you know, actually a driven science for a great deal. And then- uh, Edgar, I worked in the insurance business, one, one of my ah. multiple paths, and there's no creativity in insurance. Oh, yes, there is. You tried putting together a policy for Pete Roser, or the baseball strike insurance, or for uh, Barry Manilow's hands. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that that is the creative side. I was in the PNC side. It was like boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was primarily involved in the casualty end of things and the high risk. Oh, but, okay. But yeah, so and maybe it's the lack of creativity. I got bored with that, so I I wound up going to the Culinary Institute of America. Yeah, so I got a degree in culinary arts and, and became a chef and an executive chef and uh, did some restaurant touring and and uh, and did that for ten years. Wait, wait a second! I used to own a catering business, and my husband owned a restaurant. Can we? What is this? Season? Well, there's still there's still a catering business that I founded in New York. I think it's still operating. Last time I looked, is a Gallo Occasions Catering. So that was a business that I founded, and um, that sold. Uh, Gala occasions. I think it's still there. Gala occasions. Yeah. So I it's think uh, that was my competitor. No. <laughs> we were good. We were oh, really God. good. So, uh, yeah. So I, I was a chef, and uh, it started started going down the track of this celebrity chef, um, doing television and all that, and then uh, and then realized that uh, too much of a to too much of a toll on my family life. Uh, I wasn't spending enough time with my with my family, and quite couldn't. Uh, and I wish I had a really good coach back then. I do look <laughs> back on it because I probably would have manifested the life I was looking for in a much better way. Instead, I just walked away from it. And so, uh, 
And, and then my brothers, uh, he said, you know, you ought to do some assessments, see where your interests and where your where your talents lie. And they all pointed to my being a psychologist. And I love leadership. I love business. So it was a natural place for me to to uh, to migrate, migrate to. And and yeah, you can tell by look at me. I'm kind of getting old. And so I I, uh, I, I made that transition back in 1989, and been at it ever since. Just exploring the world of of business and leadership and just absolutely loving it. So where did you go to school for this? I wanted to get into going to school at Regis University where I'm now a executive in residence at the uh, at Anderson College. So in their innovation center. So I do are some teaching. In, are you in Colorado? Yes, I am right down the road from you. You know, I cannot believe the synergies in our lives. That's kind of scary. And well, it's quite interesting, isn't it? You're going to have to come over and have a cook-off with my husband. Oh, so. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, culinary arts, what was your specialty? Um, uh, well, the, uh, in a review back in the day, the New York Times said that I was the new breed of American chef in terms of a, the modern American cuisine that was emerging. At the, now it's called Farm the Table. <laughs> Oh, whoa. Okay. Daily changing menus, you know, all of that were, you know, whatever was coming in, we'd use. And and I was primarily, and and, uh, the, and so the catering was, was relatively speaking upscale and white tablecloth kind of work. Mm -hmm. That was, um, what is her name? Berkeley Heights in California. Uh, Waters. Uh, Alice Waters. Waters, Alice Waters. Alice Waters, yes. Okay. Yeah. Great Fabulous. Great restaurant. Great restaurant. Yes. Absolutely yeah. great restaurant. Yeah, one of her sous chefs came and uh and and worked with me for a while. Yeah. So yeah. Oh my god. Oh well, definitely having a throat. <laughs> I'll cook the sofu. My husband will cook the Italian and you go for the American. <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't know. Modern American is is truly, a, it, you know, when you think about your melting pot, at least that that's in reality a melting pot when you think about what you can do with food and how you can bring different ideas and flavors and textures. And, I, you know, it's just, I, I, I could do some really, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of fun with curries and Mediterranean, uh, uh, you know, uh, origin. Uh, ways of thinking about food and and uh, yeah, I'm I'm all over the map. So. so what did you grow in your garden this year? I bet I had to be. Uh, actually, I, we uh, for the most part, and it's uh, it's been quite a harvest uh, this year. We focused on our grapes, and uh, so I harvested. Uh, it's interesting. I took about fifty pounds of uh, muscat grapes and mm -hmm. cooked them down, and uh, you know strained them a couple of times, etc. <laughs> And wound up with, um, let's see, uh, eight sixteen, about eighteen eight ounce jars of jelly. That's just absolutely unbelievable. Okay, where are you in Colorado? I'm coming to get my jar. <laughs> just outside of Boulder in Louisville. I'll, I'll save you a jar because they go quickly. We are so near each other. This is right, you're in Windsor. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and I have to come down to Boulder to have my car fixed. <laughs> <laughs> so in my garden this year, for the first time, I grew carrots and beets. Uh -huh. Of course, the standard zucchini and squash. 
and for the first time, butternut squash and um, gourds, which that's because I picked up the wrong plant. So a lot of fruits. A lot of fruits and, and lots of heirloom tomatoes. Yeah. Um, eggplant, of course, three different kinds of eggplant. Um, um, I, I the love white. Japanese eggplant. Uh, that's what we did. I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. uh, did the Japanese, the white didn't do so good. And then I did like pink kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. Did different kinds of tomatoes. And um, the thing that was an absolute failure was corn. Uh, corn can be tough, though. Uh, friends of ours, we we uh, had about a dozen ears that they gave us of their uh, sweet corn. It was just fantastic. But yeah, I think you have, a, you have to have a corn uh, capability for that. Yeah, corn capability. There you go. There's a there's a cookbook on corn you can write. Yeah, right. The bees loved it. Bought in a lot of bees. Yeah. I could have started a hive yeah. collection. But anyway, let's get to talking about work. Hmm. Okay. The elephant in the boardroom. First of all, tell me, you're a coach. What type of coaching do you do? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Well, I focus all my work on alignment. So I look at, uh, I think the, uh, that at the end of the day, alignment is a great predictor of success in all aspects of our lives. So at a personal level, alignment to our values, our, our beliefs, our vision of who we want to be and how we want to lead life. Uh, and in our relationships, alignment of, of expectations we have one another. I mentioned in the book that unspoken expectations are the slippery slope to resentment, anger, distrust. So in relationships and marriages, family systems, and, um, and of course, in teams and groups and business, and, and then in a broader perspective, alignment of the customer experience to the purpose of the organization and its values and how that shows up in the customer experience and um, how that shows up in, uh, in cultures. I, I work under the premise that uh, an aligned culture means that the way that we behave towards one another in our teams, our groups, our organizations needs to be in alignment with the human and emotional experience of the customer because everything is emotional. So across those different uh, elements, um, I, I pretty much work with uh, the, the threads of, of human experience and threads of human emotion, which are the motivators of our behaviors. So, so the, in answer to your question in my work, I go across all of them. And, and, and so my work's very unique. I work with families, I work with couples, I work with leaders, teams, uh, I work on design and brand and uh, and customer experience. I'm, all, I'm across all of those. So you're actually answering my next question. It's, we hear the word alignment used so much in business. Yeah. And I think that there is, I don't know that there is really a clear definition, number one. And number two, we think about when we hear alignment, we think of like Fortune 500 companies. Right. And so I want to talk about, one, a clear definition. Two, I want to talk about, because most of our audience are solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. Um, and, you know, the new group that I'm starting this week, the Power Pack Women, uh, they will mostly be solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. 
how do we bring such a huge word into small business? How do, how do we yeah. do that for us? Is the question. Yeah, so I think we begin, again, the premise that alignment exists everywhere. And, um, and so it does become very contextual. Um, it would be, uh, it would be that it's specific to the context. So the overarching idea of alignment is that all parts uh, and all parts, you know, create a sum that um, creates, for lack of a better term, you know, something that's harmonized and that comes together. And so there's a uniqueness that we can apply so that we can see in a broader perspective alignment for say a fortune 200 or a company or, or a government, um, the true alignment framework is, is used by the country of New Zealand for its global economic expansion. So you can even see it globally, and we can see it uh, at, at national levels as well. So you can see it in different ways. And so it becomes very contextual, which means that there's a story to be told. And as you know, the power of storytelling uh, really is about the characters and, and who's engaged and the emotional qualities uh, that we uh, participate in in a context together uh, so I, I think over overall and maybe one of the complexities or actually simplistic ways of looking at alignment is that it applies uniquely to the context that we're applying it to so that an entrepreneur it's alignment to what really motivates them and what drives them and what their their personal purpose and passion is and so as a, as a solo uh, practitioner or as, a, as an entrepreneur of a small enterprise, it means understanding how I'm bringing myself to my work and what my purpose and what my values are and how those show up in everything I do, including the story of how I provide a product and service to the world that, that brings value, that brings value and fulfillment to the, to the customer. So can we say alignment is ensuring everybody and all things related are on the same page. And if we That's can my say, definition. Yeah, but if we can say that, is there a breakdown between alignment and creativity? In other words, if everybody's uh, on the same page, right. all parts are on the same page, it's almost like, um, uh, forgive me for saying this, Oh, I forgot what the term is called, but um, it's almost like saying I have to hire a black person because I'm black and I want that. I want to have that synergy. I want somebody who looks like me, sounds like me and understands me. But, but that doesn't allow for creativity. It doesn't allow for expansion of thought and ideas. Right. Yeah, or the expansion, right, or diversity of thought leading to expansiveness of ideas. And, and uh, yeah, I think that's a status quo theory. That's what it's called, status quo theory. Yeah, and I, I there is, I think that's that's a conversation. Um, in other words, because we're all alike in so many different ways, I think the creativity is that we all bring our uniqueness. And we all have a clear understanding of where we're going together, <clears throat> our purpose, our, our shared passion, vision, and that we're all able to bring our, our diverse ways of thinking and looking at life. And yeah, there's certain certain natural synergies that exist among groups. I think it's part of the conversation to be able to acknowledge that. 
I, uh, what I've discovered in all of my work and, and uh, my basic premise around alignment is that every time you have a misalignment, you have an opportunity. And misalignments show up in a lot of different ways. Uh, primarily, they show up as conflict. And I also look at conflict as the natural tension between our current state and the desired future state. So that tension um, actually presents the opportunity. So we can talk about who we are and talk about our individuality and, and our, our likenesses as well as our diversity of, of who we are and how we think and have a conversation of how we bring that together in alignment to our, our shared purpose, outcome, vision, uh, whatever it is we're pursuing together. And so I think for a lot of people, they look at misalignments or, or differences as being problematic. I actually yeah. look at them as being uh, being the opportunities that we have right in front of us that we very often resist or push up against instead of inviting. So for those who are coaches mm -hmm. listening to us, and we have a lot of coaches listening, there are two areas, it appears to me, of misalignment. One is with the client themselves, wrong client. Uh, yeah. The other is, depending upon the methodology that you use to coach, right, mm -hmm. there could be misalignment in the coaching style or methodology. Yeah. Um, how does a coach resolve this? in order to continue to grow business and not necessarily have a bad reputation? <laughs> well, I, I, I think it begins with, and-, and uh, I a lot at you just now. <laughs> no, I, I actually have a, I do have a response to them, uh, is that uh, I think, uh, I think in my experience of, of coaches in a lot of uh, service industries overall, I think there's a lot of the talk is, well, I, I'm able to say no, or if it's not a good fit, I'm able to recognize that. Not every good customer is a good customer. Not, a, not all revenue is good revenue. I, I remind companies and, and businesses of all sizes that day in and day out in my work with them, you've got to find right customers. So I, I know that this is a, a kind of right in alignment with that, is that I think the questions you just posed you have to be able to bring into the conversation with your clients to say, look, I, we need to get to know one another because, you know, what, what I might propose may not be in alignment to who you are and, or that my thinking, because I may have certain bias and certain ways of looking at things. I mean, we always bring two things with us in every business relationship. One is a, a, a way of defining our past and how we achieved success. So we naturally advocate our past successes into the current context. This is a way to do something. And the other one is we advocate naturally on who we are without very often realizing it. What motivates us, what drives us, what our desires and needs are. So I think opening the door to a conversation that says, let's explore this and let's take a look at what alignment looks like in our relationship and let that be the guide. Let's create that kind of alignment. And if that alignment isn't possible, then I think we need to be in alignment on recognizing that and understanding that this may not be the ideal relationship. Um, trust shows up in different ways and different dimensions. And we're researching this right now in terms of 
what alignment of trust looks like in organizations, which is just just wonderful to explore because we use the term so often. So, uh, oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> oh my God, I was set to ask you a different question, which is to talk about alignment and branding. Oh, that's a great one because that speaks to yeah. trust too. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let me go, remember that, you know, because sometimes I have a little COVID fog going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, it's hard for me to even get the words out. Trust it. And I'm not talking as a consultant, I'm talking as an employee. Mm -hmm. Trusting your yeah. company. What the yeah. heck are you talking about? <laughs> well, yeah, I can yeah. walk in the door and find right myself out on the streets. What? Yeah. Come on now. Well, I, I was just fascinated by it earlier today. I chimed in on the, uh, I, I'm attending bits and pieces of the Fast Company Innovation Festival, which yeah. is just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And they had an executive, part of a panel, and, and the executive says, uh, it was asked, you know, what did you learn through all of this, your experience with COVID? And, you know, and uh, the executive said, uh, well, my big learning is that uh, everything is emotional. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh, my God. That is hysterical. I love it. Yeah. That's so, a new concept in life. <laughs> so I'm thinking about that and I'm saying, well, yeah. So, uh, and, you know, a key aspect of our emotional connectivity and relationships is around this idea of how do we trust one another. And trust really is about how do we get our unspoken expectations, our desires and needs met. Well, wait a second. I want to be clear about something So, because I don't want to get into trouble with the audience. I am not talking about trusting your significant other, your friends. I'm talking about trusting an organization. I want to be yeah. real clear about that. Well, the same thing shows up in 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 our in marriages and partnerships, and shows up oh, everywhere. No, no, Ed, yeah, no, yeah. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no. Well, no. so so it turns out that there's three distinct dimensions that you can see at play. Uh, and they're important because a lot of even when we think about diversity, inclusion, and uh, and definitions of equity kind of come right at this. Yeah. So one dimension of trust is whether uh, you listen to me, whether I'm visible, you know, the underlying fear being ignored. And mm -hmm. so the dimension of trust is, are you listening to me? And in our self-concepts, when people listen to us, that's the indicator that we have value. Um, that that I have self worth permeates from the idea of, uh, you know, are you are you are you listening to me? Are you giving me the attention I deserve as a human being? That's the core of all mutual respect. I I can't understand mutual respect. I define as you treat me the way I want to be treated, and I treat you the way you want to be treated. That cannot happen until I understand who you are, and I don't know you and don't understand who you are until I listen to you. So trust through through that lens. Then another form of trust, and this one we use a lot in organizations, um, is the uh, the definition of trust is, I know you'll get the job done and you'll do it right, which is a trust in somebody's capabilities, skill sets, competencies, know-how. And whether and we talk a lot about commitment without realizing what we're really talking about commitment in organizations is, will you keep your promise to getting it done and that you'll do a good job? So we have that form of trust. And, you know, and so here you start even looking at the semantics of other words, uh, 
um, how we can miscommunicate respect, you know, different forms. And then we have ultimately the trust in that you're being truthful, that you're being open and honest with me and, and, and vulnerable and intimacy and vulnerability all stem from that. Now, I just want to add one piece to it that's really important because this is some of the work that we're, at least I'm working with leaders and some of the work we're looking at is um, that vulnerability is most often associated with how we express our truth, our desire, our, our ability to be intimate and open and you know, quote unquote authentic, right? We use the word authentic a lot. It's a safe word for saying truthfulness. So being authentic. And, and you look at that from the other, uh, the other aspect of it, of, of intimacies. How vulnerable am I being as I listen to you? And this in coaching leaders is, I think, essential. In other words, we have our biases, we have our ways to filter, to screen in terms of how we listen and how we accept a fellow human being, another person. And I think as leaders, we have to be able to understand that vulnerability isn't just how I express, it's how I hear with openness how I accept you as a fellow human being to, to enable you to be open and honest with me without my rejecting you or rejecting your thoughts and ideas. Yeah. And I, so going back a moment and being quite serious, I think that so many things have happened as a result of COVID. Yeah. Uh, one is that leaders realize that their employees for the most part, and for most leaders, there is no trust. And they're trying to figure out how to resolve this and still remain as a figurehead, basically. And so it seems to be a conflict going on, which is I have to be the strong leader figurehead, but now I have to show trust i have to show vulnerability i have to show that i'm listening i have to show that i see and hear you and and then that conflicts with our laws right which say you can't say this, you can't do this you can't ask how a person is feeling or why they're out sick or show any kind of deep compassion for the person so we have all of this stuff going on in our heads, it's really hard for leaders to figure out what space to play in, in terms of relationships. That's excellent. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and one of the things is to be intentional. I think it's uh, it goes back to being able to make statements but, but, of intention of the relationship. Intentional without knowing what your intent is. And when that's conflicted by all of this other stuff that's going on, yeah, it's causing a big dropout rate in our leaders and organizations. Yeah, yeah, understood. I, I agree. And I think that, and what, I, what I'm getting at with the intentional piece is, what's my intention for the relationship? And then to be able to, uh, I think asking uh, specifically questions it doesn't do us as much good and leaders as much good as is asking the, the broader questions of what would you like me to know? What's important? For, uh, what's important to you that I know? Um, it's much like very often you, you mentioned branding before. I find that 
all too often uh, companies, organizations, and especially smaller, medium-sized companies, you'll see this happening. They internalize the conversation of brand and customer experience instead of going out and asking the customer, what do you need or what, what do you need to, to build trust in our relationship? What's important to you? Um, so we don't, I'm not advocating asking specific questions. I'm looking at the intentional value of opening up the conversation in that way. Well, now you have, uh, I think, a different issue. Um, so when I was in the marketing space, uh -huh. we were looking at the push marketing. Yeah. Uh, now we're looking at pull marketing, which is yeah. trying to find out what the purchaser actually needs versus telling them this is what you need, right? And so there is more trust in the consumer because the consumer is feeling heard and seen. But I want to go back to this issue of trust because, you know, you broke it down very nicely. And I think that the one area that leaders are succeeding in is believing that the employee can get done what they say they're going to do. That's been existing for a while. Mm -hmm. I'm going to trust that you'll do it. Otherwise, you're no longer part of the company, right? But <laughs> I put it nicely. Yeah. All of these other areas. Move up or get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, McKinsey. <laughs> <laughs> but we know it to be the truth, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> All these other areas of being vulnerable, being truthful, um, you know, telling me what you need, this is all really new, regardless of the size of the organization, regardless of even if it's an, a paid employee or a volunteer. I, I know that, well, I don't really struggle with these things, uh, being the CEO of ACEC, because people just understand that, you know, when you get old, you just say, you just tell the truth. You know, you tell, you tell like this. I don't know. <laughs> I enjoy the age of wisdom. Let's put it this way. Yeah. Well, that that ties to something. I think where you're going with this. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, but um, when you're speaking about new entrepreneurs, new uh -huh. entrepreneurs who haven't had that you know, SAS wisdom, they haven't figured out how to develop it yet. Um, where do they go? And sticking to their true north and seeing and hearing the true north of employees, because that's when it comes out in your branding too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you have for these younger folks, younger business folks? That's a great, uh, yeah. A framework. Um, so the ma the main piece of feedback on the true alignment framework is that it gives teams, organizations, leaders a shared um, uh, a shared way of looking at their business, uh, everything, the customer, the brand, the culture, uh, right on through in a holistic way to look at the business and have a shared terminology and framework through which to have the conversations. I, I, the number one conversation of business is alignment. And so ha having a framework for that allows then in the coaching to much like uh, 
much like coaching a sport or anything else, you, building frameworks and ways of seeing something allows people to see it and allows them to uh, to, to see what, what their challenges are, to innovate, design their solutions. Uh, you, a framework and a measurable, observable means to do that becomes key. So I think one of the starting points is, you know, let's let's build a framework and to better understand you in relationship to your business, the people in your business, your customer, what your branding is about. And let's use that framework to to answer the questions that you have and that will 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 show up. And I think that's probably one of the pieces about um, even my experience uh, at, at the university is um, people are lacking those frameworks. Um, and you can get those, you, you can get those and, and they're more accessible now than they've ever been. You can find pieces and elements of frameworks, um, being coached and, and, and having someone to work with in, in applying those that, that becomes my role or, you know, our role as coaches. I mean, that's what we do. We bring frameworks and ways of thinking and looking at life and business that people can bring to life and for themselves. And I think that that becomes key. I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I remember back in the day, and I think my voice is a little weird today on the show. Um, when I was a career coach, how I started in, in the business side, um, people would say to me, I don't know what I want to do next. And I would say, write your resume. And they say, I can't write my resume. I don't know what I want to do. And I would say to them, now you're writing your resume to create a framework to understand what you've accomplished. Mm -hmm. And from that, it will lead you towards a decision of where you want to go. Really closely explore where you've been. And I recently, you know, even coaches need coaches. So I was talking to my mentor about the many things I'm involved with. And he said, and I was starting to work on my own personal website, which is C.B. Bowman Consulting. Right? <laughs> and um, I said, well, there's just so much, because I was envisioning myself as a coach. And he said, but C.B., you're not a coach. You've moved to the different level, right? Uh -huh. And I said, well, what am I? <laughs> he said, you're a consultant. And I said, that's interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. That's what exactly what I said to him. Yeah. And he said, why don't you take a look at the problems you've been solving for people? And I did that. And I said, holy crap, I'm a consultant. <laughs> yeah. And he said, now, what's your, and I'm going to remind you, my background is marketing. Right. And, you know, it's the shoemaker going barefoot. And he said, what's your, uh, what do you want to be known for? And I said, oh. And I had to stop and think. And I said, well, what I do is I take complex problems and I solve them simply. He said, well, that's it. He said, it's not more complicated than that. And I said, holy crap, that's it. And, and after that, everything flowed. You yeah. know, my website was easy to do. People started calling me to say, hey, I've got this problem. Can you help me with it? And I thought, wow, the role of a coach, the role of a mentor, right? And 
the most important thing is, as we're going to get to now, is it was the correct brand for me. Right? And so I think that the work that you're writing about the correct brand, and I, I looked over because I want to make sure I have time to talk about the elephant in the broad boardroom. Um, particularly page 179 about fearless exploration and inquiry. Fearless exploration, that's actually been adopted as courageous conversation, uh, brave conversations over New Zealand, that idea. Oh, I love it. Okay. So I just want to end that first part and say, I think it's really important to work with somebody who gets you, mm -hmm. um, that sees the alignment. Because sometimes, especially as a solopreneur or entrepreneur, you don't see the alignment. You may be working with others in the alignment space, but you don't see your own alignment. And the first thing to do to get there is to work on building your website, your resume, your bio, yourself mm -hmm. with somebody there to listen to what you're tossing at the wall. Yeah. And to ask you to look at what you've just tossed against the wall and help you make sense of it. Yes. Very much so. Yeah, yeah I, I truly, and I think we're at a, place in our development as a society as a global business society where uh we're with everything that we've created as we move through uh, uh the industrial revolution and then information and technology and where we are today the you know information age technology era uh, and now what we're looking at I, I think is we've come to the place of the age of awareness which is that all of this work is somebody helping you to be aware of what you're throwing against the wall and awareness of your own alignment and misalignments. And yes. I, this is this is the work of this is the work of today because with everything we've created, humanity right now, I believe, is asking the question, what do we do with all of this? And we better become more aware as as human beings, uh, else we're gonna, you know, we're gonna go down the wrong paths. What's your epitaph? And we need people like you and we who help others particularly need people like you because and and my mentor who i won't give his name out because everybody will be calling him um we need people to help us see beyond ourselves to be our mirrors <clears throat> help us see where the alignment is because it's there it's truly it. Uh, when I think about uh, big companies like Jeep, and I think my audience is tired of hearing me talk about this story, I think there is more misalignment in the big companies because there's just so many fingers. It's economies of scale. Exactly. <laughs> just in a dysfunctional way. <laughs> exactly. But I, I think the most important thing that we're saying to uh, solopreneurs and entrepreneurs is to really take the time to identify the alignment for yourself, your strengths, and know yeah. what your weaknesses are, and, and talk to people about it. It's not something you can necessarily solve yourself. Yeah, and, and I think that's really helpful just to say it that way, uh, to look at the strengths part of it. 
because every misalignment allows us to see what strengths we have to create alignment. So uh, we spend so much time, and I know that in the world of coaching, you see this so often, so much time is spent on, you know, what are my shortcomings? What am I missing? You know, how, 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 am, I, how am I failing? As opposed to being able to look at it through the lens of, yeah, well, this is the opportunity. Let's look at the strengths. Let's look at where the alignments in your life can manifest, in your work, in your leadership, in your business can manifest in, in capturing those. And, and to, to re-quote Dr. Timothy Clark, who if you haven't seen my interview of him, He's an amazing guy, just like yourself. As he says, oh, that's kind. Every <laughs> crisis, there's where your star to success is. You know, yeah. you just have to, it's there now for you, right? Uh, I do want to talk a minute about your music. Oh, I yeah. that. And I'm going to introduce, do you know John Baldoni? Yeah. I know John. Well, I know him through the ACC. Yeah. I was just going to say I want to introduce you to John because John also loves music in his work. Um, there's a couple of people I've been meeting now. Tell me about. Do you use your music in your work or? I I do. I use poetry and music depending upon the context, the audience, and also you know where, what the, uh, what the work we're doing is. Um, so yeah, I do. Um, I'll use it in couples retreats. Um, I'll, I'll sing songs and break them down um, and talk about the content. So I can write some pretty introspective stuff. And uh, a, a friend of mine said uh, <laughs> so it's kind of creepy. You're the Leonard Cohen of business. You better be careful. Um, so I love it. So I uh, yeah. So I'll. I'll use a guitar and sit down and sing a song as a way of making a reference or opening a door to a deeper, more intimate conversation. It's amazing what happens when you sing a, a song of, uh, you know, that uh, solicits essence of human soul from people and how they respond and how they react and how they open up. So, yeah, I enjoy doing that. Well, I'm going to put together the trio, you and John and a guy by the name of Johannes Fletcher, who writes and he actually re i forgot the term that you guys use but he redid tina turner's song for my wedding um, uh, remix all right right mm -hmm. and um he's just brilliant he came to acec and did a saturday session of fireside chat with us and he taught members excuse me how to my allergies are acting up how to um, use song, how to actually write a song based upon what we were thinking and feeling. And it was just brilliant work. So I'm going to put the three of you together. That um, sounds like, that sounds good. You know, there's so much I can talk to you about with you, Edgar. Want a recipe? Yeah. Intentional inquiry. Oh my gosh. That's a powerful statement, just those two words. And then you combined it under the chapter of fearless exploration. T tell me about the concept. We listen at different levels. And you're probably familiar. We, you know, we can, uh, I call it distant presence. We can look right at someone and not listen at all. Or we can engage in um, I, what I call persuasive rebuttal. 
you know, as we know as coaches, the butt, 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 or the nose. Right. And yeah, and then there's a persuasive rebuttal. And then, and then there's more active listening, which I, which I call uh, uh, that I'm checking in to make sure that I'm, that I'm hearing it correctly, the active listening, or really what I'm doing is um, looking at and testing my own translation, the way I'm hearing it. And then the highest level uh, is what I call fearless exploration, because at that level of listening, and this is where the vulnerability of listening shows up, at that level, I'm uh, I'm aware of my own defenses. I'm aware of my own fears. I'm aware of my own fears that get in the way of my really hearing you. And what I do is I acknowledge those in my in my thoughts and my feelings. I acknowledge those, and I move past them to really focus on understanding the other person. And that uh, that uh, for me is is in what I would consider the highest form of listening. And so what we're doing is we're exploring not just what the other person is saying. In order for us to open up to that, that level of exploration, we have to be internally exploring ourselves, exploring our own triggers, exploring our, our own fears, our own defenses that keep us from truly hearing someone else. And that's that can be tough. So give me the four again, distance, Oh, uh, there's five. The the bottom rung is um, distant presence, where I'm looking right at you, eye contact and all. And I find leaders do this remarkably well and not hear a freaking word somebody's saying. So that's distant presence. The next one is <laughs> is argument of rejection, which is you are wrong. You are wrong. You know, there you go. <laughs> and that we start and we stay there. You know, it's kind of like cut the other person off, step on their words step on their feelings right mm -hmm. uh, and then the next level is the uh, uh, the, the persuasive rebuttal is when we're listening to rebute right but right in the middle of the word rebuttal so we're we're listening to to, to really answer back and demo we're listening to gather enough information to create our argument our point of view and then we move once we break that barrier we can go to testing translation which is the first level of awareness of this is what I'm thinking. I better check in to make sure this this is what the person wants me to hear and know and and get from them. And then we move beyond that into now I'm going to go fearlessly. And in conflict, that that fearless exploration, we acknowledge our our, our own deepest fears and, and emotional being, and and we're able to you know let me really hear what you have to say. And you can see that and and see this in. Uh, in, in you'll hear it in movies. You'll you, you'll see it play out so often when somebody finally lets down their guard and shows up as the real the real me. Here's the real me, and I'm showing up that way to listen to you, not to advocate, rather to listen. And in a way, what we're doing is we're advocating the real ourselves by by in a way giving that gift to someone else. So I think your next book has to be titled. <laughs> If you want long-term marriage, if you want a long-term marriage, <laughs> that distance presence. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite questions in at retreats is to ask people to have a conversation with their partners about what expectations are being met and what expectations aren't being met in your relationship. And you know the That's fear. That's a loaded uh, question there. Well, yeah, it gives us gives us a lot of conversational context 
to have real conversation. And they're doing it in a group setting? Uh, individually with each other. And, yeah. Okay. And, and then the debrief is they can bring back whatever they like. And I've had some really, really good ones. <laughs> I am sure. I would love to be a fly on the wall for comparison's sake. Well, I, I consider it part of truly leadership development because if you can't do that work, good luck doing the work you're expected to do in your business. And then people say, well, that's a lot easier. <laughs> well, yeah, why? Because I got control over there. <laughs> and, and no emotional connection. <laughs> yeah, you get the same pushback. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Edgar, we're running out of time. Yes. I want you to talk about, um, so, God, there's so much. Should we talk about innovation by design? I'm going to cover a little bit about each book. Okay. So, how can how any organization could leverage design thinking to produce change, drive new ideas, and deliver meaningful solutions? Talk about this in terms of small businesses, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. Yeah, that's a really good one because a lot of what's uh, a lot of what's in there is actually practical to all size groups, as well as individuals for that matter. That um, everything that we do in the world is actually a, de a design. Um, the design of a solution to uh, to a problem. And so we're constantly in the design mode and we may not realize it. It's what we do best as human beings is design solutions, innovate. Um, our entire global society is based on that human capability. So for small entrepreneur, for entrepreneurs, small businesses, it's really about identifying problems and looking at it and coming at it through a design lens, which is coming back to all of my work is about human motivation. You know, human-centered is really, how do we design products and services to respond to a human-needed desire, which is a, a problem that's being presented. And so to, to navigate that. Well, I wanna talk about page 43, about designing the culture, okay? Now, we understand, first of all, it took me years to understand what culture meant, right? Uh, yeah. And then when I finally understood it, because I was getting different answers from different people, right? Right. And um, everybody had a personal interpretation of it. So my question to you, as a solopreneur, and then you, you start to hire, for example, a VA, or you start to engage with a business partner, how do you design because we're, we're no longer perfect. If we listen to Obama, President Obama, and we look at the numbers of small businesses that are running the country, right? How do you go from being a solopreneur to working with others? And must you design a culture around that? Or does the culture yes. exist? How do you identify your culture? That's great. So I talk about fallacies of life. And one of my favorite fallacies is that culture eats lunch, eats strategy for lunch, right? Or, or recently I saw it as breakfast, right? whichever, whichever, whichever one you want. Yes. Uh, there, uh, what, what I find in, in my experience is that culture is actually part of your strategy, that you can, knowing what the traits and characteristics of culture are, which are in that book as well as true alignment is wrapped around that idea, is that you actually have a conversation about here's how what these look like, here's what problem solving looks like, this is how we manage conflict, which is truly a foundational piece, uh, part of culture is how people interpret how culture is managed on the bus. 
So this get the right people on the bus, you got to know and be able to articulate what your bus looks like, which yeah. then which then allows us to early on, as we build a business, as we start a business, let's start early on talking about these characteristics and how they come to life in our set of relationships, individually and collectively. How do we bring these to bear in, a, in an aligned way that we know what decision-making looks like, whether it's participative, single person, consensus. We have conversations about here's what our meetings look like and what's at the essence of, of our communication. So it's really about, again, giving leaders and coaching entrepreneurs to have a framework for the conversations, the frameworks of the conversations about alignment. Let's have these, uh, I like to say, if you're not doing culture, culture is going to do it to you. And it's usually a catch-up game. In other words, we just kind of let it happen. And, and what I what we find over time, what I've experienced over and over over the last 20 plus years, is that very often leaders talk a good game of culture. They really don't get it uh, or have a really good knowledge, working knowledge of it because no one's ever taught them a framework. No one's ever been able to say, look, let's let's break this down. Look at what's what the pieces are. So do you start by, for example, the first person that you bring? And also, let's not forget, this is a world of um, 1099s, right? And, yeah. and if you're working with people from other countries, which this is also this world today, yep. kind of difficult. So, so for example, uh, I have a VA in the Philippines. What am I sitting down and discussing my culture or my cultural expectations to somebody who's in another country is in 99? How do you wrap it all together? That's a really great, great, it's a great question. It's a powerful one because it brings us back to the point of we need to have a conversation about our relationship. A culture is a set of relationships. A definition of culture that we use is um, how people people's perception really of culture is how we individually and collectively create success. And those words on the wall, teamwork, um, you know, integrity, trust, uh, those are those all come to life through how people interpret how are we going to get success. So you can simply begin the conversation, perhaps not even going into the if you're just you and one other person, it's about what does our relationship look like. What works for you? What works for me? And let's let's get that. And as we build a culture around ourselves, what we do is we continue that dialogue and we expand it to be able to say, so how will we make decisions? What is what does delegation look like? You know, like empowerment is the ability of people to make decisions. So let's have a conversation about that. Uh, so often we're we're and and of course this is what all the research data tells us is that so often, more often than not, people are truly unaware of or aren't clear enough on what expectations there are for them of how to behave and what their performance is about. This is about having a conversation of clarity, of, of, of alignment. How do we start to figure out? So in my case, I have an IT accountant person that lives in New Jersey, a VA in the Philippines, how do we start, and I think this is key for people that are just starting to build their empire, uh, uh -huh. build their boutique, how do we figure out 
what's, and this is gonna sound like a really stupid question, but how do we figure out what's important to us in business? Where do we start? Yeah, and um, I would suggest with, with that is, uh, who, who am I? Is the first question I need to ask myself. What is my sense of purpose, my sense of passion? What is it that I wanna to bring to the world? It's much like you asking someone to go back through their history and writing their resume. And what does this look like going forward? Or your mentor asking you, what is what is your business? What are you what are you all about, CB? And let let's let's capture that in your brand and your website, et cetera. So it begins with asking that core question, and then expanding on that to say, and what does that look like in relationship to others? How would you like to? What do you want your relationship to others to look like? Because as a leader, that's what that's what intentionally developing an aligned culture looks like is what does this look like what do i want my relationships to look like which also then allows us to begin to ask that proverbial question of are they a right fit or not because we have to be true to ourselves if we engage others that have a differing uh, or contrary perspective we better understand what level that 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 different perspective is going at what level is that going to influence our business and what does that look like we need to be honest about that. We need to be forthright, honest, and, and clear about it. What do you feel, what do you do if you make a mistake? Like you and I were talking before this phone call. I made a beauty of a mistake. Call it for what it is and fix it. What is it? <laughs> you said you you answered your, the question, which is, yeah, I admit to it. I, I call it for what it is. It's a mistake, and now I have to fix it. And and at times fixing it. Uh, you know, making a mistake, relatively speaking, in most cases, is easier than going back and fixing it. Oh, yeah, you bet. Right? So I've got to, and, and again, you know, here's fearless exploration showing up, CB. If I, if, you're a, uh, if I hired you and I realize it's a mistake, I've, I've got to step into that one fearlessly and explore it and talk about what to do with it. And sometimes those in business, we all know, there's... Uh, <laughs> While we'd like all of our decisions to be easy, we realize that as our business grows, the decisions we make become more and more important and and more and more difficult. And 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 you know that idea of uh, you know complexity, uh, the art of complexity, you know, lies in simplicity. And sometimes the simplicity is just let's just bring it back to the truth: Are we aligned or not aligned? Is this working or not working? Have I made a mistake? and now I have to fix it. Yeah. I also think that as I'm listening to, you know, we focus a lot on what are we going to sell? What is our service going to be? What is our tagline going to be? We focus a lot on that. And perhaps the focus needs to be adjusted to um, what, what am I? What is it that I want to communicate to the world? And then, well, why do I exist is a greater one. Yes. As, as, a, as a business person. Uh -huh. um, and then how do I want to deliver that? Why do I exist? Yes, absolutely. And then we're back to that, to that core of you know, everything <laughs> at the comment today on the panel 
gee, my big learning is everything is emotion. I'm kicking back saying Subaru sells you a car with a one word tagline, love. Yes. And the power of that intention is, is magnificent. And then the ease with which you communicate it, which says drive this car for 10 years, then put your kids in it and send them off to college, knowing that they're gonna be safe. Why? Because you love them. There it is. And so we capture it at that level. That's what great branding is about. That's what great culture is about. That's what great entrepreneurial spirit is about. It's bringing that simple and powerful message that you have into the world. Just to be able to express yourself into the world and bring something into the world that creates the value in alignment to that. Just the magnificence of that, I think, is that's to me what business is all about. You know, as you said that, the Volvo commercials popped into one of my head. Safety. And I thought, yeah, oh, right. Because when I bought one of my cars was a Volvo, and all I could think of is I want to drive safely. Yeah, they led with that three decades ago. I, I mean, just, yeah. And then Subaru picks it up with the love. And, yes. you know, that sense of community and, you know, that Starbucks does a Harley. I mean, think of Harley, it's community and, you know, togetherness and connectedness. It's not the best motorcycle in the world, I like to say. Sorry, Harley owners out there. The reality is uh, it's a membership to the tribe. So powerful that during the pandemic, over a quarter of a million of them show up at Sturgis. You can't keep them away from the emotional fulfillment. And how do we provide that? Through a motorcycle? Yes. All right, it's just, that's the power. And, and let's talk about the gaffes, Jeep, coming together of America. And the only, you have no one of color, no one of any different. Well, yeah, and that, that the Jeep takeoff is much of the Harley. The difference is that Harley has done it exceptionally well. And Jeep, uh, Jeep did it coming out of Harley, Harley parlayed the, the military community after World War II. Uh, Jeep, you know, has continued to try and do that. Um, yeah, somehow, it, uh, forgive me, uh, if you're a Jeep owner, it, it, it has a, it's not showing up authentically. No, not The messaging is misaligned. The feeling is misaligned and it, it gets mushy. Because I think it's an important lesson for those of us that are starting businesses. Yeah. That's the kind of, it gives you a visual of what a disconnect looks like and what a connect looks like. You know, when I was in the marketing field at General Foods, we'd always say, uh, after we launched, we'd say, what were the lessons learned? And can we relate them to another field? So for example, going to a meeting and you were designing a package of cereal. Well, did you want the buyer to have the experience of walking into Bloomingdale's, uh, walking into Brooks Brothers, walking into the Gap. Where are you on the spectrum? We always selected visuals that everybody yeah. could relate to. Yeah. Uh, and I think in starting your business, you want to think about what are the visuals or what are the emotional yeah. conditions. Very good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because the visuals represent the emotion. Okay. It's art. It's art. And the reason I say that business is the most advanced art form, because what we do in business is we creatively, right? We create 
products and services to fulfill human need and desire to respond to human emotion. That's the creative aspect. So yeah, you, that's a great connective. We are way over time. However, I don't care because um, our listeners can stop and come back. True alignment. Yeah. Is there such a thing? And I think we actually just talked about it. There is. There is. I believe that there is. That's that's my pursuit of life. <laughs> <laughs> I think in all of religious philosophy and everything at the end of the day, we're looking for in the time that we have, um, there's there's two things we look for. Uh, and, and in the end, it's alignment. Um, and that's spending as much time as we have to love to, to love to the fullest in the time that we have. And that and that shows up as as a way of being aligned. If I'm aligned, I'm making the choices to do that in my life. So I, I think at the end of the day, in all religious philosophies and spirituality and everything that we understand about ourselves as, as human beings, at the end of the day, we want to be in alignment with ourselves so that we can be at peace with ourselves. Freedom is the moments we exist without fear. That's my definition for freedom. And at that moment, you know, when we want to be truly free, that's that's the, when we're in alignment, we don't have the conflicts and tensions of, of misalignment so we can be truly free to be ourselves. And that's, that's the end of the day, that's the pursuit. Well, what I like taking it back to the business and not to um, shortchange the truth in our true north is on page 66 where you have the chart that talks about human motivation, consumer motivation, and brand intention. Drop the mic. <laughs> Edgar, I, I hate to say goodbye to you. Well, I won't because you're part of my association, but to end this interview because you've written such powerful messages to us. Uh, to help organizations of all sizes and to help individuals figure out who they are and how to communicate who you are. It's very powerful. All right. You're very kind. Thank you. Appreciate well, thank it. Thank you. And I can't wait for you to come and talk to uh, Women's Power Group about alignment because I think oftentimes um, women, and probably I'm going to get lots of letters about this, um, we don't focus our complete selves to be aligned with what our goals are. We are so giving that we forget about the need. Uh, agreed. Agreed. I, uh, with, uh, observing both observing the lives of my mother my my wife Lori, and, and my two daughters um in, in an intimate way yeah mm -hmm. so with that everybody uh, i hope that you will pick up all three of these books because each one has a very powerful message that he was kind enough to share with us today and oh, I truly want you to come back because I want you to 
give some more secrets about what's in your book. They're not secrets. <laughs> <laughs> and your new book that you're writing, which we won't talk about. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a... Can you give us a little scoop? It is about the relationship of love and time in our lives. The third element, it's called. That's the working title. Who knows when a publisher gets a hold of it? Now, that sounds like a, a born identity series, right? Oh, yeah, it's the alignment series. You know, yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, everybody, I, I will let you go. I'm hopping Thank off, you. and I believe I'm back next Tuesday. So please remember to tune in and spread the word. This is C.B. Bowman, Challenges of the C-Suite. See you next time. Thank you.